0: Good morning. This is Tom Clark again with The Father's Heart. We have a very interesting podcast today. I um, reconnected with an old friend who has been somewhat of a son of mine uh, in terms of our relationship and our connection. It's Chris Petrot. Chris has been a youth pastor for uh, somewhat over 25 years. Dabbled a little bit as a senior pastor here and there in different churches in Virginia and Maryland. He's married, he has four kids, three boys and a girl, currently lives in Maryland, and uh, he's associated with L3 Church in Maryland, and he also oversees Life Center in Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah. With that, I'd like to introduce you to Chris. How
1: are you guys doing? Really excited to be here with uh, Papa Tom and uh, Reconnect, and um, we've been catching up a little bit, so we're really, really excited about what the Lord's going to you know, release as we just have a conversation about right. the Father's love. One one of my favorite subjects, by the way, one of my favorite revelations in life is just how much the Father loves us.
0: So um, I wanted to share with our, our audience the fact that um, Chris and I used to go to New Song Church together. Yeah. I still do. And um, we connected there, and uh, somehow the Lord put us together. Yeah. Uh, basically through conversations that, that was we've had. Good, yeah. And, um, we were able to have lunch. Um, Chris never found a lunch, uh, lunch before, breakfast. Yeah. He never found, um, a lunch or a breakfast that he didn't enjoy. Oh, free meals. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so we would, uh, often have uh breakfast at the Vienna Inn oh, yeah. um, every other month or so, a couple of yeah. times a year. Um, and, uh, Boy, our lunches would go on, I'm uh, sorry, our breakfast would go on for sometimes two or three hours, yeah, exactly. and we'd talk about many different subjects, uh, discuss prophetic things, yeah. which he and I both mm-hmm. very much enjoy, and um, mm-hmm. dreams they may have, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we would uh, laugh, yeah. and we'd tell stories and things that happened in our lives. We'd, we'd just do life together. Yeah, absolutely. Sharing thoughts, sharing what God revealed to us, what, what God is revealed to him, what God has revealed to me. Pray about it god gave me certain downloads from heaven that i could share with him and uh i bottom line it was just really fun
1: yeah
0: on this side of the veil yeah enjoying life with uh, chris patrick
1: yeah yeah i was definitely in a season when i was a uh, helping pastor at new song uh where i was looking for uh older wiser fathers to have pour in so it was a it was definitely the lord um leading us and answering a prayer of mine. I knew that I was uh, getting somewhat, uh, had something to give, you know, after so many times of failing in ministry, (laughs) you know, so, you know, even right now, I feel like even though I did 25 years of youth pastoring, I'm still learning, you know, I'm not a youth pastor anymore. And I'm mentoring youth pastors, but I'm learning. And I felt like even back then I would, I I just really wanted wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I knew one of the things I wanted to do is get with father, heart minded men and just listen. I think sometimes our generation feels like we need to uh, give our resume of ministry and, you know, to kind of impress fathers. Uh, I, I, uh, I was just hungry to listen to mm-hmm. fathers because I, I knew that there would be an impartation, uh, uh, you know, by learning from stories and revelations and even the way you did things, you know, um, you know, getting a meal together or whatever and just being able to talk about these things It always felt safe. Even when we disagreed, right. it always felt safe, mm-hmm. and it never felt like we had to go off and and be offended. Mm-hmm. But it was always like closer. Like I looked forward to these things. So I was definitely in that season of just wanting to listen to wisdom. Mm-hmm. I still love it. <laughs>
0: I remember one of the first uh, times we got together. The Lord just reminded me of this, and He put it in my mind because it was actually a shocking experience for me. Yeah, or maybe with the word "be surprised," and the surprise came to me because. Uh, and I hope you remember this conversation. I think you will. Where well, you said to me that you were surprised that I as a white Caucasian yeah. would be talking to a Hispanic. Yeah. Right. And it's what surprised me because I didn't think of you as being Hispanic. Yeah. You know, so it was like it, yeah. it never even came across my radar mm-hmm. screen yeah. that you were Hispanic. Yeah. And I think you picked up on that. Yeah. Um, and so, from your cultural background, Absolutely. it was different than from my cultural background. Yeah. Because from my cultural background, um, it, it it never made any difference. I, I always looked at you as the person of who you were. Yeah. I always like looked into your eyes, looked into your soul, yeah. saw what the goodness of God in you, yeah. and everything was all good. I mean, I, I didn't it didn't even, uh, you know. And I'll tell you some of the other. Uh, personal friends I have, uh, Otis McQueen is another one uh, who's black, but I never see him as black. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's one of those truthful things where scripture uh, tells us that God does not see race. Yeah. There's only one race. Yeah. That's the human race. Exactly. And actually racism is, is a fabricated thing. Yeah. And it's so sad to me to see in our society yeah. how people pull the race card. They use it in politics yeah. and they use it in uh uh to divisiveness yeah. to separate people <clears throat> where in the heart of god it doesn't exist and when people are um relating in a good way in a, in a healthy way as you mentioned before yeah. a safe place yeah. where they can express themselves even when they disagree but that does not interrupt anything yeah. and you don't have this you know this disconnectedness or di- uh, division yeah uh based upon false
1: premises mm-hmm. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, with absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's an error. Well, that's kind of an error you make when there's insecurity that that breeds in you. And I think I was at a, at a, at a time, you know, not only my Latino, but I I I come from the other side of the tracks. So I don't even relate to most Latino people out there. I grew up in a black neighborhood. Uh, we were one of the token latino families in there uh my my world view was listen you need to pay attention to your skin color you know uh-huh. uh and and, and again it, it's a conversation that a lot of my my black brothers and sisters in ministry have had their parents had to sip it and say, remember, you're, you're black because it's a matter of life and death for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not, not not just with police, but with anything out there, gangs or whatever, the things that just kind of bring, to- you know, turmoil to the inner city. And so for me to see that, wow, there's actually someone wants to just, you know, just pour into me and, and have conversations, take me out for lunch um it was kind of new you know you you have you know and, and there has been times where yeah it was coming from a place of a wound uh, being rejected by a certain pl- person and and again i think it's it's it, it's something that as you grow mature you start to really realize that though we are to celebrate diversity uh we just can't walk into rooms what, especially with brothers and sisters and just be like, Oh, that's a black pastor. That's a what, no, no, these guys are people, Mm -hmm. you know, and you just receive what you have. But I think I was in that place of just, um, you know, as I look back, trying to prove who I was also not really having a good relationship with my own father, you Mm -hmm. know? So leaning into my own understanding, uh, you know, taught me to just be like, okay, you got to act a certain way. You got to do this or, you know, whatever. But as you grow wiser, and as you continue to have the conversations, you you realize that there's something to be said that we are all part of his royal priesthood, you
0: know? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your father in a minute, but I want to just discuss a little bit of background things just to give you an idea, the audience, like where we're coming from. Uh, I grew up in Long Island and uh, of a middle-class, upper-middle-class family, my own personal socioeconomic background. I was probably upper-middle-class by, based upon income. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an all-boys Catholic school. There were no blacks and no Hispanics in the whole school, wow. and no girls. Wow. <laughs> so, well, all the different divisions that some mm-hmm. political people use—women, so, mm-hmm. blacks—they <laughs> didn't exist in my world. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, uh, it was ethnic in the sense that we had our sense of ethnic yeah. was Irish, <laughs> yeah. Italian, yeah, Polish, exactly. you know, Germans. Those sort kind of people—they were all Catholics. Mm-hmm. So It was a Catholic school. It was very high-end. Uh, Everybody went to college, you know. uh, Everybody was trained to go to schools. They all went to very, very good schools. Um, Multiple scholarships academically were given out, and so on and so forth. So um, then I, um, you know, from that background in Long Island, I ended up going to uh, the DC area, went to Georgetown, get a high end university. Yeah. You know, a lot of socioeconomic people exposed Mm -hmm. on the high end of things. I married uh, a woman from a wealthy family from Greenwich, Connecticut. Yeah. So I got exposed to a lot of that kind of thinking mm-hmm. or cu- that culture, mm-hmm. and for me to come from that culture and have a very um, transparent and uh, authentic mm-hmm. conversation with Chris's background, mm-hmm. and not even think anything of it. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was a non-issue. Yeah. It was non-issue to me. It was an issue to him yeah. given from his experience yeah. but that wall
1: didn't exist.
0: Yeah. we to comment about that wall. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean again and, and 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 so it's it's real interesting because you know you know the way I grew up and and, and with my father and and just our own uh prejudiceness, you know, um we always looked at well the white man's the boss. Right. <laughs> you know, it was it wasn't until like you know when my my dad was a just met my my now wife, Bethany, who's white, and her parent, her mom is from you know, St- you know Queens, and her dad is you know Annapolis, Maryland, and you know that, co- that kind of a you know upbringing. Um, when I met him and my dad saw that she was white, he looked at me and he said, "Oh, you're going to have a successful marriage
0: mm-hmm.
1: because in his eyes, he said, "Well, being with the white race means success because mm-hmm. they're the boss you, 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 don't, you don't cross them. And so, and and there was an inferiority kind of a thing that happened, you know, and my dad, you know, and and my dad had to learn that the tough way, you know, he worked at a, he worked at a golf club, Uh, I still remember, Woodmont Country Club, he worked there with my mom, and they had a company picnic, and, um, you know, uh, I was swimming in the pool and I became friends with the owner of the country club. Mm-hmm. So the kid was my friend for that day, you know, it's just, right. You know, and, and then really didn't have a relationship with him. But as we're swimming, this kid pursued to drown me. Really? Oh, yeah. He, he you know, he, he. What it, what it was is he told me to go under and then he would hold on to the rail that would take you out of the pool. And put it, He put his foot on my shoulders and kept me down. Wow. When my dad saw that, because I started to panic because yeah. I was losing air. My dad yelled at the kid, got him off, you know, for the sake of saving his son. That's how, you know. My, my dad panicked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that next week, him and my mom got fired.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. So what do you what do you do with that? That's how the- do how, how do I see that? Sure. How, mm-hmm. do, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret that? You interpret that as hey, you you crossed the line in protecting your family. Right but you cross the line in their world because they're wealthy, they're rich, they don't, you know, and they're going to eliminate that. Uh, And so at that point we kind of just knew things weren't, that was my first time knowing things aren't on even ground here. I could be friends with that kid. He could do something wrong to me. And then my family suffers. And so it was kind of just that whole kind of a deal. So, so for us, it was a, a, it was a great learning experience then all of a sudden you, you get touched by the Holy Spirit. You're in church. You yeah. have a message. And your message is the Father's love. Your message is we need revival in the family. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if the contingency at church is going to receive from the vessel that God's given.
0: Yeah.
1: That is only because of trauma. That's not necessarily what's happening. Though. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, for sure. It's, it's, so that, that was kind of how we, you know, how I interpreted things. Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because we all um, have this prism. Yeah. Through which we interpret reality. Yeah. Right. And that prism is conditioned. Yeah. By our life experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, in many cases. But it's interesting that as we grow older and we go closer to the Lord, he wants us to use the word. Yeah. As the prism through which we look at reality. Yeah. Okay. And not our past experiences, mm-hmm. which were often encountered fears or anxiety fears, yeah. right? And then also lies. And if, <laughs> you, if you think about what was the lie that that family had, yeah. that they would fire your mom and dad mm-hmm. from the country club yeah. because of something that their own son,
1: yeah. who was also
0: operating of a lie. Yeah. Was trying to basically drown you. Yeah, I mean, you know, how, how does that work? Yeah, right. And then how that affected you? Yeah, going forward, you know, in your life and dealing with people to the point where you know you become thirty-five or forty years of age. Yeah, and you're having a conversation with, with another man who you perceive yeah. was on the other side of the fence, as you said. Yeah, on the other side of the tracks. Who what? And I was, mm-hmm. but I didn't
1: see it that way.
0: Yeah, you know. I so that's, that. that's very interesting. The, the other thing that I think was also really important there was your father yeah. acted as a father exactly. protecting his son. Yeah. So he did the right thing. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of how, if they're going to fire him, let him fire him. Yeah. He, he did the right thing Absolutely. for you. right? And the hard part after that is to forgive yeah. the kid yeah. and to forgive the kid's parents because they're not operating in, in law. Exactly. They're not operating in love and truth, and they're having a negative effect on you. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, can you find yourself in a place of forgiving them?
1: Absolutely, you know. So and, yeah, and 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 that is very tough, you know. You know, it t- it takes, you know, it it's almost like you need to have such intimacy with Holy Spirit where He can whisper that in your ear mm-hmm. to be able to pay attention to it. You know, and and, and I, I have forgiven the young man, I have, you know, you know, for my dad, even he has forgiven, you know, uh, because but back then the priorities were, were weren't straight. I mean, my parents weren't even believers, you know, the priorities were like get money, <laughs> right. you know, and now the he, necessities of life. Exactly. The necessities of life. My dad's and this was his second job, thank God, you know. So, but, but it's, it's just interesting because even, even now, like in my thirties, I still found myself you know, the first couple of times I went to Bethel, I felt like a fish out of water. I, I mean, it wasn't really until I became, you know, as I got more healing in my heart, that's but Bill Johnson's, Bill Johnson's John ministry, and, and it was majority white people in there. Some of the most beautiful white people, you know, but you walk in there and you're just like, <laughs> you're like, no one relates and no one looks like me, you know? And I think that's been kind of my tiff with the Lord in the last 25 years, mm-hmm. as I've fallen in love and, as a youth pastor. So I was a youth pastor. And I often say, when I put the title youth pastor down and became a father, mm-hmm. I started to see revival results,
0: hmm. right? Yeah. Because
1: I'm starting to see the kids and their potential, right? not just in their weaknesses, or I'm starting to see my leadership as a family. And if they, you know, so they wouldn't perform, they genuinely move right. out of love. And so we looked at failure as a, a potential growth time to learn from it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We didn't want to make the same mistake twice, which meant we needed to look at the mistake and say, how could we learn from this? And we had some pretty big failures, some pretty big blunders. And so I, as, I, as you start to do that whole, you know, we're going to create a family, we're going to do this, and you start to see revival results, you start to feel, and, and the majority of my youth group was African and Latino. That's where I was pastoring. And as I'm getting into 24 7 activity, like learning from uh, IHOP or International House of Prayer in um, Kansas City, yeah. you know, Bethel started to come onto the scene with some stuff. And I'm looking and I'm looking at the landscape and I'm saying, man, I got this father's heart. These kids are writing worship songs. Actually, you've seen, you've, you've, yeah. you've worshiped yeah. to some of those guys. Yeah. They genuinely had been marked by the presence of God. And then you look at the landscape and you're just like, wow, it's still so very white. You know, because, okay, let, let, let's even go back politically. Why was Obama so important? President, mm-hmm. Former President Obama. Mm-hmm. Why was he important to black America? Because mm-hmm. he was he represented. Yeah, because they finally had somebody mm-hmm. that looked like them. Un- there are times we want breakthrough to look like us. Right. Now, it might not be the Christian breakthrough or, or the church breakthrough or the God breakthrough, right. but it might be in the secular. And sometimes the world captures... The heart of God without even knowing, it, you know, before the prophets get it, you know. And so they, that was the kind of thing. And so as me, I was like, okay, Lord. And I remember going to, a, 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 I remember, I remember I went to a Life Center uh, Harrisburg, which is a big conference kind of church. And they were having, um, they were having a, a conference they had annually called Firestorm. Uh, when I was in new- Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, yes, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. and when we were in New South Clark, yeah, all that yeah. the, the young people would go, young adults would go to those conferences, and um, and, th- and this is what changed my whole game, um, because my my I was I was as before I was in a uh, youth pastor, I was still a youth leader, I was really disgruntled. My wife is pregnant with Josiah. Now, we knew he when if he was a boy, we were going to call him Josiah because his name meant the builder of new things, mm-hmm. and we as patrots. Uh, my wife if we didn't have boys the name would die Hmm. so if we were going to have a boy he was going to be the builder of new things meaning this no more family addiction no more no more uh arguments, no more divorce. No, we're going to do things. We're going to break this curse and we're going to put it on our son. Uh, and because he was conceived in love and we're going to believe that he's the builder of new things. So we knew we were going to have Josiah. And, but I became very disgruntled in that season because I was hurt by just seeing what I believed was a white revival, what I believed. So, and I was like, where do we fit in on this? How do I fit in? How does this kid fit in? How did you define white revival? by just what I saw with my eyes. Right. Everyone right. leading was white. Right. I and so then, not necessarily everyone receiving. Right. That was different. Right. But everyone was... So, so I'm looking at this. Okay, mm-hmm. do, do my spiritual sons and daughters that are the next, what I believe, worship leaders, have a seat at the table? Mm-hmm. All right, this is just my thinking. I go to this conference. My, my father-in-law pays for us to go to this conference, Firestorm and Tom... I was kind of out of the revival circle. This is kind of just introducing me this whole thing. And I go Friday night and the speaker is actually now a friend of mine, but he was very exuberant and very into manifestations and very into all this. He would cackle. Ha, 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 ha. He would like pray and be like, come with me to heaven. And we're going to go to the room with the body parts. And I'm like, what? And I was like, a room with body parts? And and, and, and these were, this was the room. Yeah. Talking
0: about healing. Yeah, healing. He would, he would say, oh,
1: look, there's a new liver. Someone's getting <laughs> healed of liver cancer and all this. And again, you got to remember, though, I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. This ain't my revival. You know what I'm saying. Right. And as I'm sitting there, you know, and, and you know this that I have an exclusive pair of sneaker collection. Mm-hmm. At that point, <laughs> I, I'm wearing some three. My 000, son saw this. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had some three thousand dollars <laughs> jordans because I'm going to a conference. I want to look. So that could cost your life. It's exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, so now I didn't pay three thousand, but that's how much they were worth, you know. So, so somebody yeah, uh, stole exactly. <laughs> so this guy James Gall, yeah. who was now uh, a papa, like I, I love this guy. He starts to take people's shoes off and their socks, and he's throwing their shoes <laughs> <laughs> he's going to clear t- two different directions, and he's taking their socks off. Well, I'm, I'm kind of just looking at him like. No, You're, and so, I mean, exactly. Dollars, exactly. Exactly. You're not going to do that to me. I wouldn't get those pair back. <laughs> so, so he's she's literally. I felt that he was following me. So I kept going on one side. And he's, so either or, I, I just I was very disheartened. I was like, this can't be revival. This cannot be revival. So my my father-in-law, who's a very wise man, I, I love him so much. He came up to me says, Chris, and he knew that I felt out of place. But He goes, Chris. We'll go home tomorrow after I want you to hear this guy speak. I think you'll like him. It's going to be different than this, you know. So the next morning we go to the the theater of this amazing church, the amphitheater, and uh, a man by the name of Lou Angle starts to speak. Tom, I can only tell you where that whole room of white people and some minorities were getting blasted by the Holy Spirit. Their socks were getting, those same people were in the amphitheater. But when he opened up his mouth, I started to weep. Mm. I just started to weep, and he starts talking about the pro-life movement and and, and, and the journey and, and the dreams and all that. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, we've never been again, never been about abortion, but this makes sense. This is God's doing. This, and my heart was gripped. And then when I thought I couldn't get any deeper, he grabs the microphone and he goes, "You know what this generation needs? They need more Josias to come forward." <laughs> Tom, I I, I fell head out of the my floor. seat. <laughs> of the we have five month Josiah in yeah. a, in Bethany's summit. Yeah. and I'm weeping and I'm just broken and I'm repenting and I'm like God, I'm racist. You got to clean my heart, God. I can't do this. And I said, but God, why aren't there so many of us people that look like me up there? You know, and 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 the Lord says that's because you haven't built the bridge yet. <laughs> See, sometimes we want to criticize things that God mm-hmm. wants us to be the solution to. Right. And I learned right That's there, a very important thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I said, sometimes we criticize things that God wants us to be the solution. Absolutely. For. And I felt like, I said, oh my God, I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. I have issues. I'm, I have orphan issues in my heart. Mm-hmm. It's the orphan spirit in the inner cities that will tell you, you can only relate to the four blocks of your neighborhood mm-hmm. because those people know you. Right.
0: Can I mention something? Sure, absolutely.
1: Triggering something in my own thoughts. Uh,
0: I have told the audience in the past that I am a father of six children. Mm. And I told you my background was out of the white community. Yeah. Uh, But my mind and my heart was open to my children to having a different experience in their lives than I had in mine. And I realized that the avenue through which that experience can happen culturally is through sports. Yeah. So um, my oldest son, Zach, um, was a very good athlete. Mm-hmm. Never got physically that big, mm-hmm. but in terms of his skill set, was superb. Like he won a award, like the uh, best athlete in Fairfax County when he was in eighth grade. In mm-hmm. both football, basketball, base anything he did, yeah. he was just really talented in that sense. But that I only bring that up to say it exposed him yeah. to a lot of um, people from the other side of the tracks as yeah. you say and he ended up spending a lot of his time his two best friends mm-hmm. uh both in football and basketball were growing up were black mm-hmm. and so we live in this nice area uh in a particular town of vienna but he'd go to the, bar, the part of vienna where they had mm-hmm. um where black people lived and mm-hmm. um you know the community had been there for like maybe 100 years even mm-hmm. maybe going back to slavery or something wow. Um, and they had their own little cemetery, so for the part yeah. that, people don't even know this. Um, and then uh, when he got to uh, uh, high school age, he went to Dematha High, and Dematha High School is <coughs> probably what sixty-five, seventy-five oh, yeah. percent black. Yeah, uh, and they were all very good athletes. I mean, that was a athletic mm-hmm. school. Now he was also very good academically, but that's another side of the point. The point is that I'm trying to make here is that. Uh, as he got older, he started realizing that he had grown up more in the black community than in the white community Yeah. because of the exposure through sports exactly. to those communities. And um, he would tell me stories that were completely different from my own background experience. Yeah. As he got older, I didn't find this out until he was like in his 30s. And he described certain things I just described to our audience to give you an idea of what it was. One time when he was in high school, probably around 17, 18 years old, uh, they used to play basketball in the summer leagues. Mm-hmm. Now, the person who recruited him was Morgan Mouton uh, at the Mouth of had passed away, I think, last year. Yeah. And uh, uh, Morton, oh, 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 Morgan always loved Zach because of his, his yeah. heart. Yeah. You know, he, he really has heart for people. Um, and uh, this particular summer league, they were out in some area of D.C. Yeah. where angels feared to tread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> And he walks into a gym on a hot summer day mm. and the whole place is like, you know, thumping yeah. right? in the summer leagues. And he's the only white kid there. Yeah. Right. So he walks into the gym and he's getting these stares. Yeah. I mean, people are looking at him like, yeah. Yeah, what the heck are you yeah. doing here? You know, it's like with animosity and yeah. all you can imagine while you're interrupting our community. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, you can imagine all the emotions that have been stirred up. That he had the nerve, you know, walk in to that uh, gymnasium, that that gym, right, with all the people that are that are there, and, and so forth. So what ends up happening is uh, he's no longer there, probably a minute, a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and the mothers of the uh, mm-hmm. players from DeMatha who knew him mm-hmm. and loved him. Yeah. because they had all heard from their sons. Yeah. This kid, Zach, is unbelievable. Like, you know, yeah. I didn't have my uh, my calculator in, in math class, and he gave me his. Yeah. And he helped me at school, and he yeah. taught me this, and he taught me that, and he did all these things for them. So the mothers hearing the story from their kids, yeah. and he would actually visit their homes, yeah. and they just poured out their love to him yeah. because they realized that he he was completely unprepared. I mean, He was completely... Yeah. So they came down from the stairs, yeah, the mothers, and hugged him. Yeah. Like two or three of them. Yeah. And he says, after that I I can walk on water. Yeah. He absolutely. says in the gym, he said, the, when the mothers come down and yeah. love you and, and their sons had, you know, yeah it, it, even the opposing team yeah. you know were completely different. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one experience. Yeah. Yeah. Another experience he said to me was Daddy said, you know, uh with my friends. Um when we go into the seven eleven, yeah. Uh, they always tell me to walk in first. Yeah. Because the shop owners are gonna think they're gonna steal oh, wow. from them. But if you go in first, you know, they'll see where we're the white kid. Yeah. And because they see us with the white kid, they won't think you They won't think we're gonna steal. Wow. So Zach goes, Okay, I'll do I'll do that. He says, sadly Dad, he says to me, this is some of them did steal stuff. Yeah. I mean I gave them the cover. Yeah. And, I, and they did steal stuff. And I actually had to confront them afterwards and said, You know, you asked me to go in to, to cover you. Yeah. Why would you use that cover to steal that exactly. cover? So, I mean, you see that dynamic yeah, happening. Absolutely. And they, it actually turned around their hearts against stealing. Yeah. Because he had, you know, yeah. again, he didn't accuse them of it. But, yeah. but there was a see how God works in yeah. that. The other thing he mentioned to me was that um, sometimes they'd be driving around in a car. Mm. he had an old white Buick Riviera which mm-hmm. in the black community they somehow loved the white Buick. Oh yeah. Big sedan. Big In fact, they yeah. ended up selling it to a drug dealer It turned out later. Oh, wow. um, so, he said, whenever they were, as a group of them or whenever they were in the car or something like that, they always told them if they were stopped for some reason because the police would stop them all the time. A bunch yeah. of black kids, right? Yeah. And they said, do you, Zach, you do all the talking Yeah, because you're white. Yeah. You're smart, yeah. you're articulate, you know. You know, you you give us a cover, Yeah. right? So those were just two examples, you know, of his experiences with issues dealing with race. Yeah, that's kind of out there. Absolutely. Yeah. But it also goes to show you that he he is a um, part of the anointing on him, which sometime in his life the Lord is going to use. Uh, he's like an ambassador. Yeah, and he can uh, he can. Uh, he forms that bridge. Yeah. I mean, black people trust him implicitly. Yeah. They, all he has to do is start to talk to him, yeah. And they'll know that he's, he's not the same person that, they, even a new person who's raised in the black community. Yeah. We're realizing from his experiences and what he acknowledged that he's, um, even though he grew up Yeah. Uh, in a, in, a um, in one sense, socioeconomically, differently. Yeah it's still, his heart was completely different. Wow. And it, and it makes a uh, a huge difference because it melts the whole issue of race. Yeah. That's why I hate these things when people go out there and say, like, uh, there's a teaching going on in a culture that uh, I think Trump shut down. It talks about all white people are racist. Yeah. You know, that's just false on its very premise. Yeah. And it's it's an agenda
1: Absolutely. That,
0: that evil people want to promote yeah. to try to compensate, and this whole idea of reparations yeah. and all that other stuff—it just perpetuates a evil.
1: Yeah. Rather
0: than dealing with the e- uh,
1: evil out of love. Yeah, I, I think I think I think you know some of that is um, that um, genuinely we in the Western Church or Western America, uh, at least Western culture, I think sometimes we're a little arrogant to think that racism is our issue. And, you know, I I heard it this way also, that uh, only white people could be racist because they were the oppressors. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, in a spiritual sense, racism is a a, a demonic principality of hate. Correct. Right? Right. So, So it doesn't discriminate who. You know, you know, and so I think it's just kind of arrogant it could, that it, it could be, it could be Arab and Jew. Exactly, I think it is Arab and Jew, and some, and you know. But I think, so, like I go, I, when I go to Peru, there's racism there amongst Peruvians. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the, exactly the upper level, the guys that live in the capital city against the mountain Indian Peruvians and the ocean, you know, the coastal Peruvians and the Amazon Peruvians. And, and it's like, we, we just always have to find something because, because that's the enemy's ploy. And so here people aren't ready to hear that message. I've been shot down many times, actually, mostly by minorities that say, no, Chris, you're wrong. Only the oppressors can be racist. I was like, listen, man, if you go to the root of racism, it's hate. And it's and it's causing you to hate the very image that you were created to be, right? So, so but at the same time, what what's going on here is there's a tit for tat. So, for instance, you know we want reparations, we want this, and a lot of it, uh, a lot of black ministers and pastors that I know kind of just feel like, well, you know, what are we going to get out of this when we're we're saying, hey, there are systemic issues in our country that caused us to be in, inferior you know when when it comes back to this the issue of the father's love which i you know i hold so dear but we need a revival in inner cities of fathers coming back to the homes absolutely you know well what got fathers out of the homes well i obviously you know what's the root of it you know why why is 16 percent uh, of the population in united states you know, African-American, but 80% of them are, of the prison population is black. Well, there's something there. Now, I'm not here to blame because I love this country. I love America. I, I, I love our military. I'm not here to... It's because we want to punch people in the eye. and No, but there's something to be said to say, okay, something happened in slavery. <laughs> if we go to the root... Now, again, I'm not here saying, hey, we have to <laughs> blame white people for slavery. no. What I'm saying is there's an effect that's still hitting, and that's this. Slave owner would see a young, young, strong black man as a slave and would get that young black man to sleep and procreate with all the slave women that he owned. Now, when freedom comes to these slaves, and you've already generational and generational taught these men that they can spread themselves around, and all of a sudden you say you're free, you can only have one woman now in marriage. And then generational and generational, this stuff starts to happen is, we're, again, I don't know if a, apology or a foot washing at a, at a major a stadium event can do that. I think it has to be these conversations. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be able to say, hey, you know, you don't look like me, but you're in my church. Let's go out because I, I got a father's heart. It's like, hey, listen, you know, I have a son that's an athlete and I, I, you know, and all his friends are black. We're going to invite him over for dinner because we, 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 we just love hospitality. You know, it's not a checklist. It's who you are, you know. And I think people know that now, but I feel like right now we're here tit for tat. So we do this. And you saw during the election, they try to make this uh, uh, a racial thing. Right. Why? Because that thing is such a heart. It's still a, a wound that hasn't been healed. That's why for me, I'm like, we need a move of God. Right. We need a restoration of fathers. But yeah, we need heart check, like a transplant, you know, to understand God's heart. And, and, and that's why this father's love message is so profound for such a time as this. We, we need to understand how God sees us. You know, in Revelation, it talks about every tribe, tongue, you know, <laughs> you know, culture coming together, and they release a song called "Salvation Belongs to the Lord." It also, it also says, if you know, mm-hmm. Scripture says, "Know no man
0: after the flesh." Amen. Right? You have to know man after mm-hmm. the spirit, mm-hmm. and uh, that was really the basis of our relationship yeah. to start with. Yeah, and and from that, so many things can be birthed, <clears throat> Absolutely. but without that, nothing could be birthed. Nothing, right? So, uh, yeah, the, uh, the thought process there that um, I think also gets hammered. Yeah. And this is where evil perpetuates itself. Yeah. When you start with an evil thought mm-hmm. back, you were mentioning, you know, with slavery. Yeah. Slavery is an evil thought. Yeah. Um, and uh, as you said, it's not the oppressors. I mean, if you go back to places in Africa... There were African tribes oppressing other African Absolutely. tribes. And the conquered got sold into slavery. Exactly. And it happened in the time of the Greeks. It happened for thousands of it years. Happened it happened in Israel. happened in Israel. All over the place it happens. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not because of the color of the skin that you have oppressors. Mm-hmm. It's because of the demonic thought, thought. that's there. Um, and the demonic thought comes in many different directions. And we don't realize the battle that we have in our minds. Uh, and how different thoughts get perpetrated on things. Absolutely. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Otis, who's black, says mm-hmm. one of the worst things that happened uh, to the black community was the civil rights movement of one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-five. Mm-hmm. And his premise was that if you go back before one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-five, mm-hmm. there were more uh, black businesses yeah. by far. Mm-hmm. More black PhDs, mm-hmm. more black college graduates as yeah. percentage of population. He goes on and on and on. Statistically, mm-hmm. they were doing much better in the nineteen yeah. sixties. Yeah. It wasn't an issue of racism. Yeah, right. And then uh, the thought came yeah. through the Democratic Party. Yeah, and Lyndon Johnson, who yeah. was a, was an incredibly racist. Yeah, he was racist. I mean, I mean, more racist than we could even imagine yeah. a person being. And uh, I heard him in one of the documentaries Mm -hmm. where he said with his own lips to his own white, you know, political leaders, we need to get the nigger vote. Yeah. And he actually used that word. Yeah. And, and. Uh, yeah, I remember says, that, too. And he says, if we can have control yeah. for the next 100 years yeah. if we can get that vote. Exactly. So uh, they perpetrated on black people Absolutely. who were historically yeah. Republicans, Yeah. who after the Civil War, when they got elected to Congress, yeah. they were like 29 yeah. of them were all Republican yeah. congressmen, yeah. right? Lincoln was a Republican, yeah. right? And how they just totally revamped Absolutely.
1: that. And they basically
0: duped people.
1: Yeah. Totally. Now, now, now how, how did that happen, though? Yeah. I, 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 and, this is, and this is kind of the thing where we have to bring a king, kingdom principle and we have to understand that the enemy will use any kingdom principle and corrupt it. Mm-hmm. These guys acted like they cared. Right. They acted falsely. Like they cared. Right. I, I, I you know, it, to me. But they uh, didn't care. No, they didn't. They, they, they didn't. And it's evidence. It's evident that we have a stimulus package that gets approved mostly that was given by the Democrats that wants to give what 50 million for gender training in Pakistan, and we still have an inner city called Flint, Michigan that they can't drink the water. What, what, you know what what is what is going on here? even President Obama was highly criticized that he didn't do anything for the for black people other than become a black president. Those are actual Democrat black leaders that are saying this. Right. Right. This is not Republican that you expect. I'll tell you this much as I'm pastoring a church and and I'll go with this is, you know, there are people that have issues at church and they go to church because they have issues and they make their issues known. And you kind of appreciate those people because whatever it is, you just know they could be a little crazy and they have issues. They might have friends they talk to in their heads, you know, whatever. The concern in church has been to pastor people that hide their issues. We look at the Republican product, Republican party, and people say, "Oh, they're racist." And I'm sure there's some of them are. Like I think there are racist cops, but not all, you know. But right now, it's that that they they, they paint this picture of this party, and I start to say, "Well, you know, at least we know." But these guys and the Democrats deny their that racism. That's dangerous. Because they act like they're your friends and they're not because there hasn't been any track record where we have benefited by having them in office. Well, the track record is diabolically Exactly. Immensely. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The track record is, you know, I'm going to be your friend, but I'm plotting instead to make sure that one, <laughs> your children die. Mm-hmm. Right. So, 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 you know, so there's no legacy. Right. Well, what, why do we celebrate the birth? You just told me you're about to have your 12th grandson, 11th. 11th grandson, grand grandchild, and there's a celebration. I've seen the pictures. I follow your sons on social media. The celebration of that, because we have another one mm-hmm. that's going to pass on. You know our morals, our our, our generational blessings. You, you know that's where I'm trying to get at. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about generational curses, mm-hmm. and right now we talk a lot about deliverance and doing all this other stuff, but we're I love that. We need that. Mm-hmm. But when do we start to equip a fatherless child that gets touched by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. generational blessing? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, gen- because it's generational wealth is a generational blessing. I'm not talking about finances, though. I'm talking about. It includes the whole thing. It includes the whole thing. And that's where I want to be. That's the conversation I want to have. How do I get the Father's love mm-hmm. in the inner cities right. with them? You're giving your $3,000 shoes. Exactly. I sold those, by the way. We, we had a flood in the basement. That's your legacy. There you go. There you go. Yeah.
0: My wealth is in my shoes. Yeah. But,
1: but even, Tom, Even where did that come from? Where did that come from? You know, in the inner city, there are kids walking around with $3,000 worth of clothes on. I fell into that. Because I was made fun of for being poor, and I realized something: you can't, you can be poor, but you can't look it. Mm-hmm. If you Tom, at at 16 years old, I got a credit card. Mm-hmm. I maxed that thing out in a week. Mm-hmm. I bought Ralph Lauren, which me and you are very high mm-hmm. uh, loyalists to. <laughs> Ralph Lauren polo, Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica. I bought the chain. I bought the shoes. I couldn't look for it, but. I would go home to a house that didn't have running water because we didn't pay the bill, right? Mm-hmm. That didn't have electricity. So we needed to do, read anything in there with flashlights, you know? Mm-hmm. Why? Because I couldn't look it, but I was living it. And that is the problem is is, is we, we, we do these cosmetic things sure. but we don't do heart surgery.
0: Sure. You know? You know, one of the things that I uh, began to realize uh, over time as God mm-hmm. showed me some things, is so much that controls our... Strongholds of our thoughts mm-hmm. that are based upon shame, fear, and control. Mm-hmm. And that if the enemy can get into our heads, which yeah. it does, mm-hmm. and it gets a thought in there that you feel ashamed about yourself. Mm-hmm. Or whatever we call your skin, or family background, <coughs> whatever the thoughts are that he can use, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To cause you to have shame.
1: Absolutely then
0: you spend a lot of your time and energy yeah. trying to cover that up. Yeah. Because you're afraid that people may find out who you are, mm-hmm. right? So you try to control the environment, mm-hmm. control, how you control the environment? By what you appear, yeah. yeah, by what you look like, the clothes you wear, the shoes you wear, yeah. all this outside stuff. You're trying to control people's reactions to things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, when you start to get a certain point, uh, depending on how you're coming from, um, and this is what was important, and you mentioned it before in our, uh what allowed our relationship to grow was that you never felt um you used the expression before uh you felt safe yeah right uh i've come to realize with the six children i have and any time i'll spend time with the grandchildren is to always always make sure that they feel safe around me yeah because in that safe environment we can talk we can communicate and if you don't feel safe yeah right then things go off. Absolutely. You know. And if you're operating out of shame, fear, and control in our relationship, our relationship is a stop. It can't go further. Yeah. If you feel that. But if you feel I can be safe around him, I can tell him what I really feel. I'm not going to be ashamed. Yeah. Right? I resist the shame and uh, then I then I'm not afraid that he get to know me and I don't have to control. Yeah. I don't have to control the environment. Well that that's a, a recipe for a foundation Absolutely. for success and growth. And it's something that uh, overpowers yeah. uh, the lies. Yeah. It overpowers um, the, uh, uh, the effect that the enemy tries to have in us, uh, through us, through false words. And uh, the overpowering is basically the kingdom of God becoming present yeah. with us. The kingdom of God that exists within you, and the kingdom of God that exists within me, mm-hmm. and we can connect. And then we have conversations like this, yeah. and other people can listen, and they can participate, uh, by at least vicariously they can yes. participate, but they can benefit from it. Absolutely. I think we're getting to the point we probably need to bring this to a close. Yes. And I uh, really want to thank you, uh, Chris. I wasn't sure really where this whole conversation was yeah. going to go, uh, but it really went in an interesting way. Yeah. We ended up talking more about racism than exactly. we were going to talk
1: about. Well, the importance life. of father's love in, in, yeah. in, in today's issues. Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. That, that's, a, that's a major issue. Yeah. So I um, want to thank you for this, and I want to welcome you back, come come back to the show. I would love time. to. And we can uh, further explore sure. this area. Absolutely. So uh, don't forget to look up uh, Papa Tom's Tales. Yeah. Which is the children's book series. That helps children overcome fear with the love of God. Amen. And the Father's Heart Podcast, we're up through our 12th or 13th one now. And we'll be doing two a week uh, in 2021, uh, this new year. Yeah. So uh, everybody take care. We look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you.